Hello again, all you lions, badgers, eagles, and snakes. Welcome back to Potterology, a Harry Potter biography podcast. My name is Mackenzie, and in this episode, I'll be deep diving into the second book, Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets, in order to paint a full picture of the life of the boy who lived. Thank you to everyone who listened to my first episode. I'm excited to really get this show going, so without further ado, here's part two of the biography of Harry Potter. I should think you'd be a little more grateful. We've raised you since you were a baby, given you the food of our table, even let you have Dudley's second bedroom purely out of the goodness of our hearts. The second book opens with a chapter called The Worst Birthday, and it's a pretty sad 12th birthday for Harry Potter. Of course, the Dursleys fully ignore his birthday. The main event at Number 4 Privet Drive this evening is the fact that Uncle Vernon, who works selling drills, is having a client over for dinner. Vernon gives tasks to all the family members to ensure that this dinner is a success, and the job he gives to Harry is to go to his room, make no noise, and pretend he doesn't exist. This is an easy task for Harry, as pretending he doesn't exist is pretty much all he does at the Dursley house. After breakfast that morning, Harry walks around outside, saddened by the fact that he hadn't heard from Ron or Hermione all summer, let alone on his birthday. While wandering outside the house, he notices a pair of giant round eyes staring at him from a nearby hedge. He walks over to the hedge to investigate, but before he can get a good look, his awful cousin Dudley walks up to him. Dudley makes fun of Harry for having no friends, and when Harry stares at the hedge, ignoring him, Dudley asks what he's doing, to which Harry replies that he's trying to set the hedge on fire. Dudley runs away screaming for his mom, and Aunt Petunia punishes Harry by giving him exhausting chores to complete before dinner. After the chores, all Harry wants is to collapse on his bed, but when he gets up to his room, he realizes his bed is already occupied. Harry Potter! Such an honor it is! Who are you? Dobby, sir. Dobby the house elf. The creature on Harry's bed is called a house elf. The house elf has giant round eyes, bat-like ears, and is wearing a tattered rag for clothes. Harry is too shocked by what he's seeing to immediately realize that this is the creature that was staring at him from the hedge earlier that morning. Harry, always trying to be polite, offers Dobby a seat next to him on the bed, and this kind gesture causes Dobby to burst into tears. <laughs> Dobby, shush, I'm sorry. I, I didn't mean to offend you or anything. Offend Dobby? Dobby has heard of your greatness, sir, but never has he been asked to sit down by a wizard like an equal. You can't have met many decent wizards, then. No, I haven't. That was an awful thing to say. Dobby Dobby then proceeds to beat his head against one of Harry's dressers, which alarms Harry because Uncle Vernon's important dinner is going on downstairs, and he was told to stay quiet upstairs. He stops Dobby from making any more noise. Dobby explains that what he was doing was self-inflicted punishment for speaking ill of his masters. He then reveals that house elves are bound to serve one wizarding family for their entire lifetime. They're never to disobey, so Dobby took a big risk sneaking out of his master's house to come and warn Harry not to return to Hogwarts. Harry, of course, is like, what are you talking about? But Dobby won't hear it. He tells Harry that there's a plot being put in place that would make Hogwarts an extremely dangerous place for him to be. Harry argues with Dobby, and in response, Dobby starts beating himself up again and making a ton of noise. Uncle Vernon hears this from downstairs and runs upstairs while Harry panics and hides Dobby in a wardrobe just in time. Uncle Vernon bursts into the room and threatens Harry to stay quiet while Dobby tries to escape the wardrobe. 
When Vernon leaves the room, Harry explains to Dobby that this is why he has to go back to school. He doesn't belong here, he belongs with his friends at Hogwarts. Dobby then lets it slip that he knows that Harry's friends hadn't written to him all summer. Which is weird, because why would Dobby know this? Turns out he's been stealing the letters all summer in an effort to convince Harry that his friends have forgotten about him, which would then make him not want to return to Hogwarts. Harry lunges at Dobby to try and grab the letters out of his hands, and Dobby rushes out of the room. After a small chase down the stairs, Dobby stops right in front of the dining room, where Uncle Vernon's dinner is taking place. With a snap of his fingers, Dobby levitates a cake that Aunt Petunia had prepared, and threatens Harry that if he wants to return to school, then Dobby will drop the cake on one of the dinner guests. Of course, Harry still says he's going back to school, so Dobby makes the cake move toward the dinner guests. Harry follows the cake with his hands out. Harry follows the cake with his hands out, ready to try and catch it before it drops. The cake topples onto one of Uncle Vernon's dinner guests, with Harry standing right there to take the full blame. The Dursleys are irate, and as the guests leave, Harry fears for his life. The anxiety he feels is only multiplied by a sudden appearance of a letter from Hogwarts, warning him that if he ever used magic outside of Hogwarts again, he would be expelled. This was the worst thing that could have happened in that moment, because up to that point, the Dursleys lived in complete fear of Harry and his magic. Now they knew he couldn't do magic outside of school, so all bets were off as far as punishments. Uncle Vernon decides that the best approach to punishing Harry is to install strong metal bars on his window and feed him once a day through a small slat in his door. Which is extremely abusive, but, you know. <laughs> that night, Harry dreams of being locked in a cage and taunted by strangers. One stranger in the dream rattles his cage, and Harry awakens from the dream to find his best friend Ron Weasley right outside his window. Harry's thrilled to find that this isn't a dream at all. Ron and his brothers Fred and George are driving a flying car hovering outside of his window. Ron explains that it worried him that Harry never responded to any of his letters over the summer, so he and his brothers took it upon themselves to come and rescue him from the Dursleys. Ron goes about attaching a hook to the bars on the window and begins trying to rip them off, while Fred and George squeeze through the bars and into Harry's bedroom. They pick the lock in his room and tiptoe downstairs to grab Harry's trunk. Everything goes surprisingly well until Harry's owl Hedwig lets out a big screech as they try and move her cage into the flying car. The Dursleys wake up at this sound and run to Harry's room, and just as Harry jumps into the flying car, Uncle Vernon grabs his leg to stop him from escaping. Here, a weird game of tug-of-war starts, with the Weasleys pulling on Harry's torso while Uncle Vernon pulls on his legs. Fred, who's driving the car, violently pulls away from the window, causing Uncle Vernon to fall out of the second floor window. He's fine, which sucks, but Harry escapes with Ron, who's the first to wish him a happy birthday. In the car, Harry tells the Weasleys about Dobby's warning, and they tell him that house elves are usually owned by old, wealthy, wizarding families. Harry immediately suspects that Dobby must belong to Draco Malfoy's family, and Fred and George reveal that Draco's father, Lucius, was once a loyal follower of Voldemort. At dawn, they arrive at the Weasleys' house, which they've nicknamed the Burrow. Upon arrival, they're met by a furious Mrs. Weasley. Where have you been? Harry, how wonderful to see you, dear. Bed's empty, no note, car gone. You could have died. You could have been seen. Of course, I don't blame you, Harry, dear. 
They were starving him, Mum. There were bars in his window. Well, you best hope I don't put bars on your window, Ronald Weasley. Mrs. Weasley then sets her sons to work, making them go denome the garden as punishment. Even though Harry's not in trouble, he decides to tag along and see what denoming is all about. Denoming consists of peering through the garden, pulling small, leathery, potato-like creatures called gnomes from the bushes, and then flinging them as hard as you can over the fence. Harry thinks this is a little cruel, so he tries to gently drop a gnome over the fence, but the gnome senses his hesitation and bites him, so Harry just starts flinging him like the Weasleys. After the denoming is finished, the boys head inside for breakfast and discover that Mr. Weasley is home from a long night of work. His wife is furious with him for enchanting their car to fly, and he apologizes but can't hide his excitement at hearing the details of the car flying experience. Ron takes Harry to his room, and as they walk up, they pass Ron's younger sister, Ginny, who clearly has a crush on Harry. Ron's room is small and decorated only with Quidditch memorabilia, and he's clearly self-conscious and apologetic about it, but Harry's thrilled by every part of the Weasley home. He spends a perfect week at the burrow, hanging out with Ron and his family and enjoying the glimpse he was getting of a happy family life. One day at breakfast, letters containing the kids' school supply lists arrive. Ron, Ginny, Fred, George, another Weasley brother named Percy, and Harry receive these letters. And all except Percy celebrate the upcoming school year with an afternoon of practicing Quidditch. A few days later, the Weasleys and Harry prepare to travel to Diagon Alley. Last year, Harry was escorted to Diagon Alley by Hagrid, but this year he learns a new travel method called flu powder. Flu powder is a magical dust-like substance that's thrown into a lit fireplace. This creates a passageway that'll take the traveler to any fireplace of their choice in the world. The trick is you have to enunciate and clearly pronounce the destination of your choice, otherwise you could end up in a completely different part of the world. Ron goes first and a sudden whoosh of green flames envelop him, and he vanishes into the fireplace. It looks pretty violent and scary to Harry, so when he's made to go second, he's apprehensive. He takes the flu powder and throws it into the fireplace, and although he thought he did everything right, he actually messed up pretty badly. When dropping the flu powder, he swallowed a bit of ash, causing him to choke on his words, so he announced his destination as diagonally instead of Diagon Alley. The flu system took him to the fireplace of a dark, creepy shop called Borgen and Burke's. This is a dark magic shop, and it's filled with cursed objects covered in dust, and even has a display of human bones. Not wanting to be seen there, Harry hides in a cabinet and overhears a conversation between the shopkeeper and Lucius Malfoy, the father of Harry's school nemesis. Draco Malfoy is also there, complaining about the fact that he can't play Quidditch while Harry can, and also complaining about the fact that Hermione gets better grades than him. Lucius Malfoy sells a few items to the shop, saying that the Ministry of Magic had begun conducting raids, and he needed to clear out his house of anything that could be deemed suspicious. It's a long and real suspicious conversation to overhear, and Harry is relieved when the Malfoys finally leave. As soon as they leave, he darts out of the shop. In the shop's alley, he reads a sign indicating that he's in an area called Nocturne Alley, the sketchy, crime-ridden area of Diagon Alley. Creepy people approach him, but luckily he gets saved by Hagrid, Hogwarts's giant, good-hearted gamekeeper. Please. Harry! Hagrid! What do you think you're doing down here? Come on! You're a mess, Harry. Skulking round Nocturne Alley. Dodgy place. Don't want no one to see you there. Harry's taken away by Hagrid, and soon they're in Diagon Alley, where the Weasleys and Hermione are all waiting for him. 
Mrs. Weasley fusses over Harry, dusting him off and making sure he's alright before they head into Flourish and Blotts, the store where they buy all their school books. Inside of Flourish and Blotts, a famous wizard by the name of Gilderoy Lockhart is signing copies of his autobiography to a line of middle-aged witches. Lockhart sees Harry in the shop and demands that they be photographed for the newspaper together, forcing Harry to the front of the store in front of everyone. Although he always seems to garner a lot of attention where he goes, Harry really hates being pointed out to a crowd, so this whole thing is a complete nightmare for him. Lockhart gives a little speech to Harry during the photograph, and he reveals that he'll be the new Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher at Hogwarts this coming year. He gives Harry an entire signed set of his own novels for free, and then Harry shuffles away mortified by the entire ordeal. As if that wasn't embarrassing enough, the Malfoys enter the bookshop and start making callous remarks to the Weasleys about how poor they are and about the non-magical blood of Hermione's parents who are standing nearby. Mr. Weasley then takes it upon himself to get into a fistfight with Mr. Malfoy in the middle of the bookstore. Mrs. Weasley is horrified and breaks them up, also rounding up all the kids and going home, with the day totally ruined. A little bit of time passes and Harry loves every second of his last night at the burrow. They drink hot chocolate, eat a huge meal, fire off magical fireworks, and prepare for the long train journey the next morning. The next morning arrives pretty quickly, and the whole family heads to King's Cross Station in London for their 11 o'clock train to Hogwarts. All goes well at first, with all the Weasleys successfully running through the wall between platforms 9 and 10. But as Harry try to go, the wall seems to seal itself up and they can't get through to their platform. They crash into the wall just as 11 o'clock hits, and they realize they've missed their train to school. Instead of just being kids for a second and relaxing, or waiting for an adult to help, Harry and Ron decide the best course of action is to steal Mr. Weasley's flying car. The 12-year-olds take off in the flying car, and the ride goes surprisingly well with them just following the train along its route to Hogwarts. It's a bit of a long car ride, and hours later the boys are just starting to complain about the length of the journey when the car suddenly starts to run out of gas. The car plunges toward the Hogwarts lake, and Harry and Ron do their best to control it, but the engine dies. They fall straight into a weird, sprawling tree in the Forbidden Forest. At first they feel pretty lucky, but they quickly realize that they're stuck in a tree called the Whomping Willow, the only tree in the forest that will strike back when it's struck. Its giant branches absolutely destroy the car, and the boys manage to collect their things and escape before getting crushed to death. The only real injury sustained in this incident was Ron's broken wand. They run into Hogwarts Castle just in time to observe the sorting ceremony going on in the Great Hall from a window. Harry notices that Snape isn't at the professor's table, and as he points this out to Ron, Snape actually appears behind them and takes them to his office. Snape is furious, brandishing a newspaper in their faces with an article claiming that the flying car was seen by non-magical people. This is a really big deal, as the entire wizarding world has been functioning underground, and it's forbidden for their existence to be revealed to the non-magical world. Snape also reprimands them for damaging the Whomping Willow, which I think definitely did more damage to them, but I'm not a teacher. Harry and Ron know they're in a lot of trouble, and Snape threatens them with expulsion, but since he's not the head of their house, he can't do anything like that. So, he fetches Professor McGonagall and Professor Dumbledore to explain the situation. Professor McGonagall comes and doesn't expel the boys, but gives them detention after lecturing them for what they did. When Harry and Ron return to Gryffindor Tower, Hermione's the only one who seems to disapprove of what happened. The rest of the dormitory praises them as heroes, and Harry's first night back at Hogwarts ends up feeling like a relatively successful start. 
At breakfast the next morning, Hermione's still being sulky and rude toward the boys. Soon, the owl post arrives, and the owl belonging to the Weasley family falls into Hermione's milk jug. Ron digs the little owl out, and he's carrying a letter addressed to him. It's a small red package that begins to smoke as soon as he sees it. Ron panics, realizing that he's received something called a howler. Howlers are letters written to publicly embarrass the receiver by loudly screaming the contents of the letter in their face. Ron bravely opens the howler, and it takes on Mrs. Weasley's voice. Ronald Weasley! How dare you steal that car! I am absolutely disgusted! Your father's now facing an inquiry at work, and it's entirely your fault! If you put another toe out of line, we'll bring you straight home! Oh, and Ginny, dear, congratulations on making Gryffindor. Your father and I are so proud. From this point on, Hermione starts being nice to Harry and Ron again, because really, at any age, public humiliation is enough punishment. The three walk together to Herbology class and are surprised to see Gilderoy Lockhart in front of the greenhouses lecturing Professor Sprout on how he would repair the Whomping Willow. He catches sight of Harry and pulls him aside, saying that he blames himself for the flying car incident, because if he hadn't given Harry that taste of fame back at the bookshop, he wouldn't be acting so recklessly for attention, right? This really offends Harry, and he and his friends abruptly leave the conversation and head into class with Professor Sprout. In herbology class, the kids are made to work with living, baby-like plants called mandrakes. Mandrakes let out a horrible cry when they're repotted, and their cries can be fatal to anyone who hears it. The kids put on earmuffs, and while they do so, they meet a Hufflepuff student named Justin Finch Fletchley. Justin is like Hermione in that he was born to non-magical parents. Their little group does well in repotting mandrakes, with Neville Longbottom, of course, being the only student to lose consciousness. The next class they have is Transfiguration with Professor McGonagall, where Ron's broken wand malfunctions and lets out a giant plume of putrid smoke in the classroom. The trio walk into their next class when Draco Malfoy decides to harass them by yelling out, Hey everyone, Harry Potter's signing free autographs! Ron steps up to defend Harry, and Malfoy dryly remarks that a signed photo from Harry would be worth way more than the Weasley's house. But before another Weasley-Malfoy fistfight can break out, Lockhart shows up and suggests that he and Harry both pose for a signed photo, effectively embarrassing everyone and stopping the conflict. Later in Lockhart's class, he gives Harry advice on not giving out free signed photos, which embarrasses him for like the third time today, so he sits as far back in the class as possible. The class is a real mess, with Lockhart opening on a pop quiz to test if the kids had read his many books, with questions like, what is Gilderoy Lockhart's favorite color? The main assignment for the day is for the second years to round up a swarm of Cornish pixies and get them back into their cage. Lockhart lets the pixies swarm the classroom, and when he himself is unable to round them back up, he runs away leaving Harry, Ron, and Hermione to deal with the pixies. That weekend, Harry is woken up at the crack of dawn by the Gryffindor Quidditch captain, Oliver Wood. They head to the Quidditch pitch for an early practice, and Harry is pulled aside by a first-year Gryffindor student named Colin Creevy. Colin is a massive fan of Harry's, and starts following him around with a camera to record his every move. At the Quidditch pitch, Ron, Hermione, and Colin Creevy watch from the stands as the Gryffindor team practices, with Colin asking Harry to fly closer and smile for the camera. 
The practice is suddenly interrupted, though, when the entire Slytherin Quidditch team walks out onto the field. Oliver Wood is furious and demands an explanation, but the Slytherins have a note from Professor Snape saying that they need to train their new Seeker. Seeker is the position Harry plays for Gryffindor, so it's a big shock to find out that Draco Malfoy is the new Slytherin Seeker. He walks up smirking and brags that his father bought brand new brooms for the entire Slytherin team. Hermione has the perfect comment about this. At least no one on the Gryffindor team had to buy their way in. They got in on pure talent. No one asked your opinion, you filthy little mudblood. When Malfoy drops the word mudblood, the crowd around them gasps in shock. Ron tries to put a curse on Malfoy, but his broken wand makes the curse backfire on himself, causing him to uncontrollably throw up living slugs. Harry and Hermione take him to Hagrid's hut, where Hagrid gives Ron a bucket and tells him they just have to wait for the curse to pass. While they're there, Harry explains the conflict with Malfoy and what he said to Hermione. Ron, talking through the slugs coming up his throat, reveals that the term mudblood is an offensive term for those who come from non-magical blood. The whole blood purity system in the wizarding world is a very old practice that wants to determine class systems, with pure-blooded wizards being at the top and those with non-magical blood being at the bottom. Later, Harry and Ron are called to their detentions from the car incident, and Ron is made to serve detention with Mr. Filch, shining old trophies, while Harry has to go and help Lockhart answer his fan mail. Both of them believe they have the worst end of the deal here. In Lockhart's office, Harry signs his professor's fan mail, when he suddenly hears a spine-tingling whisper from the shadows. Harry asks Lockhart if he heard that, and Lockhart says that Harry must be tired and sends him to his dormitory, but Harry spends the rest of the night worrying about that voice. October arrives, bringing a bunch of rain and ghostly encounters along with it. Harry runs into the ghost of Gryffindor House, nearly headless Nick. Nick is upset because he has been once again rejected by a group called the Headless Hunt due to the fact that he isn't fully headless. The conversation is abruptly ended when they're spied by Filch's cat, Mrs. Norris, and Nick warns Harry to get away so as not to get in trouble for tracking mud into the castle. Harry's not very fast on his feet because Filch catches him and takes him to his office to write him up. While Filch writes the complaint, they hear a loud crash from outside, and Filch leaves to investigate. While he's gone, Harry spies a book on Filch's desk called Quick Spell for wizards who are not fully magical. When Filch returns, he panics and asks whether Harry read it, hysterically kicking him out of his office. And when Harry leaves, he finds that Nick was the one who set off the distraction for Filch. Harry's really appreciative and asks what he can do to thank Nick, and Nick explains that he's having a death day party to commemorate the 500th anniversary of his death. During the party, he wants Harry to mention how cool Nick is to the other ghosts, and what an asset he would be to the Headless Hunt. That night, the kids arrive at the death day party, and it's a chilling sight. Ghosts from all time periods float around the room, the music is a screeching, scratchy sound, and all the food is rotting. Hermione spots a ghost she knows from the girls' bathroom, moaning Myrtle, and quickly guides her friends away, not wanting to get into a conversation with her. One other ghost, though, forces them into a conversation with Myrtle, and they all make her cry, so this is when the kids take a cue to leave. It's on the way back to Gryffindor Tower when Harry hears the mysterious voice again in the shadows. He tears off in the direction of this voice, determined to follow it, and the trio discover a really shocking sight. 
They see Filch's cat, Mrs. Norris, stiff and hanging by her tail from the ceiling, and under her is a message, scrawled on the wall in blood. The Chamber of Secrets has been opened. Enemies of the air, beware. Of course, right at that moment, all the other students and teachers fill the corridor on their way back from dinner. They come upon the message on the wall, and there's a choir of gasps that goes through the entire crowd, with Draco Malfoy calling out, You'll be next, mudbloods! Mr. Filch is among the teachers and students in this crowd, and notices his cat hanging from the ceiling. He explodes at Harry, grabbing him by the collar and threatening to kill him. Luckily, Professor Dumbledore shows up and whisks Harry, Ron, Hermione, Filch, and the cat to Lockhart's office nearby. Dumbledore examines the cat and determines that she isn't dead, but actually petrified, and that second-year students couldn't possibly have mastered the magic necessary for a dark spell like petrification. He also says that the school has enough mandrakes grown to make a restorative potion that should bring her back to normal. Filch isn't convinced and explains that Harry knows he can't do magic, which is why Harry would attack his cat. Professor Snape jumps in, adding that he didn't see the three of them at the feast that night, which is when the three of them explain that they were attending Nearly Headless Nick's death day party, but Harry doesn't bring up the voice he heard that led him to the message on the wall. Over the next few days, Harry wonders what the Chamber of Secrets could be, his peers avoid him because they believe he's the instigator of the crime, and Ginny Weasley avoids everybody, seeming to be in complete terror all the time. It's definitely a stressful time at Hogwarts. In their History of Magic class taught by the ghost Professor Binns, Hermione interrupts the lesson and raises her hand, persuading him to tell them about the Chamber of Secrets. Side note here, the movies actually had Maggie Smith as Professor McGonagall tell the story, so I'll be using that clip, but I won't be using Professor Binns, unfortunately, because there's no audio of him that exists anywhere. Well, you all know, of course, that Hogwarts was founded over a thousand years ago by the four greatest witches and wizards of the age. Godric Gryffindor, Helga Hufflepuff, Rowena Ravenclaw, and Salazar Slytherin. Now, three of the founders coexisted quite harmoniously. One did not. Three guesses who? Salazar Slytherin wished to be more selective about the students admitted to Hogwarts. He believed magical learning should be kept within all magic families. In other words, pure bloods. Unable to sway the others, he decided to leave the school. Now, according to legend, Slytherin had built a hidden chamber in this castle known as the Chamber of Secrets. Well, shortly before departing, he sealed it until that time when his own true heir returned to the school. The heir alone would be able to open the chamber and unleash the horror within, and by so doing, purge the school of all those who, in Slytherin's view, were unworthy to study magic. This causes Harry to worry, because when he was sorted by the hat last year, it struggled to place him between Gryffindor and Slytherin, and Harry ultimately won the decision with Gryffindor. But the possibility of having been in Slytherin as well as now being associated with Salazar Slytherin wears on his mind. The other students definitely don't help to quell this anxiety, because everyone's completely convinced that Harry is the heir of Slytherin. As the trio walks to their next class, they notice a corridor flooded with water and a long trail of spiders running along the floor. They decide to check Moaning Myrtle's bathroom for clues, where they meet Myrtle herself, and she's a lot. 
moaning myrtle. I wouldn't expect you to moan me. Who would ever talk about ugly, miserable, moping, moaning myrtle? It's a depressing encounter, but they find no explanation for the spiders. After a while, they leave and speculate on whether Malfoy could be the heir of Slytherin. Hermione suggests a great idea that they could ask Malfoy themselves by using a Polyjuice Potion. Polyjuice Potion grants you the ability to turn into someone else completely for a certain amount of time, with one ingredient of the potion being hair from the person you're turning into. Hermione says they can turn themselves into Slytherin students and eavesdrop on Malfoy in their common room. Harry and Ron are skeptical, but Hermione insists and says she'll get a note from a teacher to check out a recipe book from the restricted section of the library. In their first defense against the dark arts class since the Pixie incident, Hermione approaches Lockhart at the end of class and asks for a note to check out the book they need. She appeals to his narcissism by saying that she needs the book to research the methods he used in one of his books, so he of course is flattered and complies. Harry, Ron, and Hermione hurry into the library and get the book, and they read about the painful and complicated steps to making and using Polyjuice Potion. By the end of the description, Harry and Ron are nervous to try it, but Hermione pushes it and the plan goes forward. The Quidditch match between Gryffindor and Slytherin arrives, and during the pre-match pep talk, Oliver Wood tells Harry to catch the snitch or die trying. It's Harry's first match against his rival Draco Malfoy, and he couldn't be more ready to win this thing. When the game starts, Harry circles the top of the pitch when suddenly one of the game balls starts following him, trying to injure him. This ball is called a bludger. They're very heavy and they're known for recklessly flying around the pitch, causing player injuries, but they've never been known to just follow a particular player. Fred and George try to knock the bludger away from Harry, but it only bounces back and continues to chase him, intent on killing him it seems. While Harry avoids the bludger, Slytherin keeps scoring goal after goal, so he tells Fred and George to get back to the game and let him deal with this while he looks for the snitch. Malfoy laughs at Harry being chased by the bludger, and while he's laughing, Harry actually notices the snitch flying right next to Malfoy's face. He goes for it, and a chase between Harry, Malfoy, and the rogue bludger ensues. Malfoy gets injured during the chase, and it's once again just down to Harry to survive and catch the snitch. Unfortunately though, the bludger comes up and smacks right into Harry's arm, breaking it immediately. This incident happened when Harry was real close to the snitch, so when he fell off his broom in pain, he was able to grab the snitch on his way down. Gryffindor wins again! Harry lays on the pitch with a broken arm and the snitch in another hand, when a crowd rushes up to check on him. Lockhart is the first to arrive and offers to help reset his arm, to which Harry replies, No, not you. He doesn't know what he's saying. Now, this won't hurt a bit. Lockhart doesn't listen and goes about resetting his arm, but he makes a huge mistake and ends up actually getting rid of all the bones in Harry's arm. He's sent to the hospital wing and undergoes a long, painful process of regrowing his bones. During the night, he's visited again by Dobby, who explains that he was the one who closed the train platform so Harry couldn't get to school, and he was also the one who bewitched the bludger to chase him during the Quidditch match. These were both futile attempts to scare Harry and cause him to give up and leave Hogwarts. The Chamber of Secrets has been opened, which is a big threat to Harry's life, and you'll see why eventually. And Dobby has been trying to protect him. Harry wants to know more, but Dobby disappears. Dumbledore enters the hospital wing with Professor McGonagall, and they're both carrying a stony figure that Harry recognizes as Colin Creevy, the sweet photographer kid that followed him around. Like the cat in the corridor, Colin has been petrified with his camera in front of his face. 
When Harry wakes up the next morning, his arm is completely healed, and he goes to tell Ron and Hermione about Dobby and Colin. He heads to Moaning Myrtle's bathroom, where he finds that his friends have spent most of the morning brewing the Polyjuice Potion. Meanwhile, the entire school is terrified because of what happened to Colin. Ginny Weasley is especially shaken up, and some students even started carrying around protective charms to avoid the same fate as Colin. The kids realize they need to steal some potion ingredients, so Harry distracts Snape in potions class by throwing a firecracker into a cauldron near the Slytherins. The potion splashes and causes everyone's face to swell, and it's the perfect distraction. Hermione sneaks out of the room and steals some polyjuice ingredients from Snape's personal collections. She succeeds in sneaking the ingredients, and when she comes back out, Harry is being screamed at by Snape, threatened with expulsion once again. A week later, the trio spots a poster advertising a new student dueling club, and they go to the first meeting to learn how to duel. After an embarrassing example display by Lockhart, the students are divided into pairs. Harry is of course matched with Malfoy, Hermione is matched up with a Slytherin girl named Millicent, and Ron doesn't even get to participate because of his broken wand. Harry and Malfoy attack each other with all sorts of painful spells, and the two are brought into the front of the room to demonstrate to their peers. Wands at the ready. Scared Potter. You wish. During their duel, Malfoy casts a live angry snake from his wand. Lockhart tries to get rid of the snake, but only angers it. The snake slithers toward Justin Finch Fletchley and other Hufflepuff students. Without a second thought, Harry calls out to the snake to leave Justin alone, and the snake falls into a heap on the floor. Harry is relieved and expects everyone else to be relieved as well, but the class is for some reason terrified at what they just seen. Harry is extremely confused why everyone's mad at him, and Ron and Hermione explain back at the dormitory. You're a parcel mouth! Why don't you tell us? I'm a what? You can talk to snakes! I know. I mean, I accidentally set a python on my cousin Dudley at the zoo once. Uh, once. But so what? I bet loads of people here can do it. No, they can't. It's not a very common gift, Harry. This is bad. What's bad? If I hadn't told that snake not to attack Justin... Oh, that's what you said to it. You were there. You heard me. I heard you speaking parcel tongue. Snake language? I spoke a different language. Harry, listen to me. There's a reason the symbol of Slytherin House is a serpent. Salazar Slytherin was a parcel mouth. He could talk to snakes too. Exactly. Now the whole school's gonna think you're his great-great-great-grandson or something. But I'm not. It is not a good look for Harry, since everyone already seems to think he's the heir of Slytherin, and he just publicly spoke parcel tongue in front of everyone who's afraid of him. The next day, Harry goes to find Justin and explain what actually happened, but as he looks for him in the library, he overhears a group of Hufflepuffs discussing the probability that Harry was dangerous. Harry approaches them and asks where Justin is, but they all react fearfully and throw accusations at him. As Harry returns to the dormitory, he trips over the stony figure of Justin Finch Fletchley, lying near the still and floating figure of nearly headless Nick. Soon, the castle poltergeist sees the scene and cries out, alerting everyone to the corridor. And once again, Harry is caught alone at the scene of two petrified bodies. So Professor McGonagall decides this is out of her hands and takes him to Dumbledore's office. Despite the sense of impending doom weighing on Harry's chest, he's really impressed by Dumbledore's office. The first thing he sees is the sorting hat sitting up on a shelf, and he asks the hat whether he was put into the right house. The hat stands by what it said last year, that Harry would have done great things in Slytherin. 
Harry rejects this and moves on across the room to see a beautiful, sickly-looking bird near the window. But before Harry can really look at the bird, it suddenly bursts into flames and disappears. Harry screams and wonders whether he'll be blamed for killing this bird too, but Dumbledore walks up behind him and reassures him that the bird is actually fine. The bird is a phoenix named Fox, and at the end of the phoenix's life cycle, it bursts into flames and then is reborn from its own ashes. Phoenixes also have great carrying abilities, can fly a long way, and can even heal wounds with its own tears. Hagrid suddenly bursts into the room yelling that Harry's innocent, and Dumbledore interrupts him to say that he doesn't think Harry could have done something like this. Dumbledore asks Harry if there's anything else he wishes to tell him, and despite everything weighing on Harry's mind, he says no. Soon the term ends, and on Christmas Day, the kids open their presents and then get to work on planning their Polyjuice Potion adventure. During the feast, Hermione suggests that they fill two cakes with sleeping potion and leave the cakes in a place where Malfoy's friends Crabbe and Goyle can find them. The plan is to knock them out, drag them into a nearby closet, ripping out a few of their hairs in the process, and then changing into their robes. The boys are able to do everything successfully, and soon they take the hairs back to Hermione in Moaning Myrtle's bathroom. Hermione already has the hairs she needs since she plucked the hairs from the girl she was paired with in dueling. The friends add the hairs to their respective potions and drink them. It quickly turns Harry into an exact replica of Goyle, and Ron into an exact replica of Crab. Hermione refuses to come out of her stall, so Harry and Ron set off alone. They don't quite know where the Slytherin common room is, so they wander around. Malfoy ends up approaching them, and he leads them through the corridors to a black stone wall whose password is Pureblood, which opens the Slytherin common room. Malfoy is pleased with himself for getting a copy of the Daily Prophet, the wizarding newspaper, and he unknowingly shows Harry and Ron an article about Ron's father being fined for bewitching a muggle car. Ron is furious but tries to conceal it, and Malfoy speaks of the last attack by the heir of Slytherin. He reveals information about a hidden chamber under his family's drawing room floor where dark wizard paraphernalia is kept. Harry and Ron are suspicious, but keep quiet, and Malfoy doesn't notice anything because his friends Crabbe and Goyle aren't really the brightest anyway. After some time, the potion begins to wear off, and Harry and Ron dash out of the room and back to Hermione, who's still in the stall. Moaning Myrtle is laughing at her, and the reason turns out to be because the hair in Hermione's potion actually belonged to a cat, not Millicent Bulstrode so the potion transformed her into having the face of a cat. Harry and Ron persuade her to go to the hospital wing, while Moaning Myrtle gloats at them. On the way from visiting Hermione in the hospital wing, Harry and Ron come across another flood coming from Moaning Myrtle's bathroom. They investigate, and Harry finds a plain black diary with the initials T.M. Riddle on the top right corner of the first page, but the rest of the pages are blank. Ron remembers seeing the name T.M. Riddle when he was cleaning up trophies in detention, and says that this student received a special award for services to the school 50 years ago. There's a bit of a time skip, and it's the beginning of February now, and the school definitely feels calmer since nobody else has been attacked, and the mandrakes required to revive the victims is about to be ready. An embarrassing encounter happens when Harry is pursued by a dwarf delivering him a singing valentine. He wonders where this came from, and he sees a nearby blushing Ginny Weasley, who was more than likely the one to send him a valentine. Harry gathers his things and leaves the laughing crowds, not wanting to garner any more negative attention on himself. That night, Harry wants to try something, and he writes his name on a page of Riddle's diary. It slowly disappears from the page. Slowly, the ink rises up again in somebody else's handwriting, forming the words, Hello, Harry Potter. My name is Tom Riddle. How did you come by my diary? This begins a dialogue between a student and a ghost separated by 50 years and connected through this secret diary. 
Riddle writes that he was awarded a medal for catching the person who opened the chamber half a century before, and he invites Harry to visit the memory. Within seconds, Harry is physically pulled into the pages of the diary to a scene from 1945. Here, he witnesses a conversation between Riddle and the old headmaster. Riddle's request has been denied to stay at Hogwarts for the summer holidays due to the recent dangers of the Chamber of Secrets being opened. They keep on walking and Harry wonders where they're going when they run into a 13-year-old Hagrid who is in the process of trying to hide something. Riddle accuses Hagrid of opening the Chamber of Secrets and pulls out his wand, casting open the box and releasing a giant spider that runs away quickly. Harry's thrown back into the present day and has a ton of questions. Was Hagrid really the one who opened the Chamber of Secrets 50 years ago? And could he have done it again? The next few days are relatively calm despite everything, but Harry is startled to discover that during his Quidditch match, his dormitory is completely ransacked and destroyed. Although he is surrounded by a complete mess, Harry only notices that Tom Riddle's diary is gone and panics. He and Hermione determined that only a fellow Gryffindor student could have done this, since only Gryffindors are able to enter that room. The morning of his next Quidditch match, Harry hears that hissing, disembodied voice again, and Hermione leaps up to go to the library and figure out what's going on with that voice. Meanwhile, Harry heads out to the Quidditch pitch, and he can barely take his position before Professor McGonagall steps onto the field and cancels the match. She makes Harry and Ron follow her to the hospital wing, and they're met with a really shocking sight. They find Hermione and a Ravenclaw student, petrified with a small hand mirror laying between them. The boys are shocked to find their best friend in such a state, but it only fuels them to solve the mystery. Solving a mystery when the school is in a state of lockdown is a little tough for Harry and Ron, but they go on investigating despite the curfew. They decide to visit Hagrid, and since they could get in trouble for sneaking out past the new curfew, they sneak out under the invisibility cloak. As soon as they enter Hagrid's hut, they hear a knock at the door and hide with the invisibility cloak in a corner. Dumbledore enters with a man who Ron immediately recognizes as the Minister of Magic, Cornelius Fudge. Fudge explains to Hagrid that in light of recent circumstances, he must ask him to leave Hogwarts and stay at Azkaban, a fearsome wizarding prison, until events have stopped. Dumbledore says that he trusts Hagrid entirely, but Fudge insists that Hagrid's history is full of rumors about the Chamber of Secrets. Hagrid's the first suspect they have to put away. During this discussion, Lucius Malfoy enters and explains that basically the parent-teacher association at the school has signed a petition for Dumbledore to step down as headmaster. Harry and Ron are shocked, but Dumbledore consents and starts to leave with Malfoy and Fudge. Hagrid also leaves with them, calling out to Harry and Ron under the invisibility cloak. He says to follow the spiders to find the culprit. The next few weeks are tough without Hagrid at the school, and some students and teachers think the danger went with Hagrid. After seeing Hermione's empty seat in class, the two are inspired and agree to follow the spiders that very night. Beneath the invisibility cloak, Harry and Ron set off for the forest with Hagrid's dog Fang following along. They spy a line of spiders scuttling along into the forest and follow them, running into the damaged flying car along the way. They're soon met by a bunch of clicking, horse-sized spiders, and Ron, who fears spiders above all else, is frozen with fear. The spiders physically carry them to a clearing with a giant web where they meet a humongous, elderly, blind spider named Aragog. At first, Aragog tells his children to kill Harry and Ron, but when they tell him they were sent by Hagrid, he agrees to listen. After a few questions, Aragog explains that the school thought he was the monster that lived in the chamber, but he had actually been given to Hagrid as an egg and raised by him. The monster in the chamber is actually much worse than Aragog. It's a creature feared most by spiders, and because of that, Aragog won't reveal the name of the creature. 
The boys learned that Moaning Myrtle was actually the monster's first victim when the chamber was opened 50 years ago, and when her body was discovered, Hagrid set the giant spider free into the Forbidden Forest. It's then when Aragog tells all of his children to eat the humans and the dog. For a moment, it's nothing but terror, as Harry and Ron accept that they're about to be eaten by spiders, until they hear a horn in the distance and see the Weasley's flying car driving itself over to them. They panic and clamber into the car, shoving the dog in along with them. They're chased through the entire forest by Aragog's children, and after nearly dying several different times, they escape. Harry and Ron speculate ways to question Moaning Myrtle about how exactly she died, but with no real luck, they go to class. Professor McGonagall announces that exams would take place a week earlier than planned, and she also announces that the mandrakes are ready to be cut and used to restore the petrified victims. Everyone's thrilled, except Ginny Weasley for some reason, who looks very nervous. Harry asks if there's anything she wants to tell him, and before she can say anything, she's interrupted by one of her brothers. Later that day, Lockhart escorts his students through the corridors and complains about all the new precautions the school put in place, so Harry and Ron convince him to let them escort themselves to class. When they're free of Lockhart, they dash to Moaning Myrtle's bathroom, but are caught by Professor McGonagall. They tell McGonagall they were going to visit Hermione in the hospital, and not wanting to get caught in a lie, they end up doing so. And thank God they did. This all worked out really well for them, because while visiting Hermione, the boys discover a crumpled up paper in her frozen fist. They unravel the paper and see that it's a page from a book about a creature called the Basilisk. Harry reads the entire page and determines that the Basilisk is the monster in the Chamber of Secrets because the description fits everything that had been happening this year. The Basilisk lives for hundreds of years, speaks in parcel tongue, kills with its stare, petrifies, scares spiders, and can be killed by the crow of a rooster. Underneath all this information, Hermione herself had written the word pipes, which Harry and Ron believe is a reference to the pipes in Moaning Myrtle's bathroom. The boys sprint to the staff room to share this information with Professor McGonagall, only to be interrupted when they hear an announcement that there's been another attack. Harry and Ron listen to the staff meeting about the attack, and learn that Ginny Weasley had been taken into the Chamber of Secrets. Written on the wall was another message. Her skeleton will lie in the chamber forever. Ginny! Professor McGonagall announces that the school will be closed and the students would be sent home the following morning. Lockhart enters the meeting kind of late, and all the teachers start asking him to take on the monster in the chamber, seeing as how boastful he is about his skills. Lockhart starts acting kind of nervous and suddenly leaves the room, with Harry and Ron following closely behind. They follow Lockhart to his office to tell him what they know, and they find that he's actually started packing his bags. The boys call him out for trying to leave when there's danger he could surely help fix, but Lockhart reveals that he actually isn't who he says he is at all. He had never fought a single dark creature in his life, but he had interviewed the people who did those things. He took all of their information and then erased their memory of the encounter so they could never claim credit. So Lockhart's basically a total fraud who got famous for other people's achievements. He then tries to erase Harry and Ron's memories, but Harry's able to disarm him, and the boys push Lockhart all the way into Moaning Myrtle's bathroom. When they get to the bathroom, Harry questions Myrtle about her death, and she says that all she remembers is that she saw a pair of large, yellow eyes at the sink, and then she died. Harry investigates the sink and finds that there is a small snake carved into the taps. Speaking parcel tongue, he tells the tap to open up, and it does, revealing a giant pipe into which Harry, Ron, and Lockhart descend. Inside the pipes, they come, Inside the pipes, they come upon a giant snake skin that fills up the entire room. 
As the boys examine it on their own, Lockhart steals Ron's wand and tries again to erase their memories. What he doesn't know is Ron's wand has been broken all year, so the curse rebounded on Lockhart, destroying his own memory and causing an avalanche of rocks to fall in the process. This creates a barrier between Harry and Ron, and Harry tells Ron to try and make a hole in the barrier while he presses on. After a small search, Harry finds a wall engraved with shining metal serpents. He instructs the wall to open the same way he had the sinks open, and he enters the Chamber of Secrets. The Chamber of Secrets is a giant room lined with snake statues and containing an enormous statue of the face of Salazar Slytherin. At the foot of the statue, Ginny Weasley lies motionless. Harry runs to her and checks on her, and while doing so, he notices the shadowy figure of Tom Riddle standing nearby. He speaks in a low, cocky voice, unconcerned about the situation. Tom takes Harry's wand from him, which is alarming because now Harry is defenseless should the Basilisk choose to appear. Harry asks Tom how Ginny ended up here, and Tom explains. It was Ginny Weasley who opened the Chamber of Secrets. No, she couldn't. She wouldn't. It was Ginny who set the Basilisk on the mudbloods and Filch's cat. Ginny who wrote the threatening messages on the walls. Why? Because I told her to. Find I can be very persuasive. Not that she knew what she was doing. She was, shall we say, in a kind of trance. Still, the power of the diary began to scare her, and she tried to dispose of it in the girls' bathroom. And then, who should find it but you? The very person I was most anxious to meet. And why did you want to meet me? I knew I had to talk to you, meet you if I could. So I decided to show you my capture of that brainless oaf, Hagrid, to gain your trust. Hagrid's my friend! And you framed him, didn't you? It was my word against Hagrid's. Only Dumbledore seemed to think he was innocent. Harry's shocked. Ginny was possessed by the diary and committing all these crimes at 11 years old. Harry cannot understand who would want to do that to a kid. Tom then begins to question Harry about Voldemort, which makes him a little suspicious. Why do you care how I escaped? Voldemort was after your time. Voldemort is my past, present, and future. Tom then traces the letters of his name, Tom Marvolo Riddle, in the air. The letters then rearrange themselves to read, I am Lord Voldemort. Tom turns to a surprised Harry and proclaims himself to be the greatest sorcerer in the world. And suddenly, Fox the Phoenix appears, carrying in his beak the sorting hat. Fox drops the hat into Harry's hands, and Tom begins to laugh at the, quote, great weapon sent by Dumbledore. He commands Harry to explain how he survived his attack as an infant, and then he points out certain odd similarities between them, in their origins, childhoods, and appearances. He then challenges Harry to a duel, and the basilisk suddenly erupts into the chamber. Harry closes his eyes immediately, because he knows that eye contact with a basilisk is deadly, but he does hear a heavy slithering noise and begins to run in fear for his life. For a moment, he hears a gross squelching sound among the hissing, and he opens his eyes only for a second to see Fox attacking the basilisk. The bird straight up claws the basilisk's eyes out and blinds it, so now Harry can open his eyes safely to defend himself. The blinded basilisk sways in pain, and its tail knocks the sorting hat into Harry's hands. Harry puts it on and wishes desperately for help, and out of nowhere, a glittering sword falls out of the hat. He's able to climb to the top of the Salazar Slytherin statue, at eye level with the blinded basilisk. He thrusts the sword into the mouth of the serpent as it strikes, killing it, but getting one of its fangs stuck in his arm in the process. The basilisk falls dead, 
but the venom of a basilisk can kill in a matter of seconds, so even though he won the battle, Harry knows he'll be dead soon. Fox the Phoenix lands on Harry's shoulder and begins to cry onto Harry's wound. Tom cockily laughs, saying that even the bird knows that Harry's dying, but they both notice that Harry's wound is suddenly gone. Fox had healed the wound completely with his tears. At this point, Tom slash Voldemort has had enough and raises his hand to finally kill Harry, but before he can cast a spell, Fox knocks the diary into Harry's hands. Harry takes the basilisk fang and stabs the diary over and over again, causing Tom to scream in agony and disappear. As soon as Tom disappears, Ginny wakes up and Harry collects her, his wand, the punctured diary, the sword, and the hat, and they meet up with Ron and Lockhart. All of them are carried out of the chamber by holding on to Fox's tail. When they get back, Moaning Myrtle is a little disappointed that Harry didn't die, because she developed a crush on him and was hoping he might share her toilet with her. They enter the office to find Dumbledore and Mr. and Mrs. Weasley waiting inside. The Weasleys rush Ginny and Ron with a big hug, and ask Harry how he was able to save her. He tells them everything from the voice to Aragog to Moaning Myrtle, but for Ginny's protection he mentioned nothing of her in the diary. Dumbledore pries, wanting to know more, and Harry ends up telling them the whole story of how Voldemort slash Tom Riddle was able to possess Ginny. Dumbledore sends Ginny to the hospital wing to rest, and he informs everyone that the mandrake juice is being applied to petrified victims at this very moment. He awards Harry and Ron with awards for special services to the school, and 200 points for Gryffindor, and sends Lockhart away to the hospital wing. Finally, he asks Harry to stay and talk with him alone. Dumbledore explains... Dumbledore then explains how Fox came to his aid in the chamber, as well as quelling Harry's anxieties about his similarity to Voldemort. I want to thank you, Harry. You must have shown me real loyalty down in the chamber. Nothing but that could have called Fox to you. And, um, second, I sense that something is troubling you. Am I right, Harry? You see, sir, I, I couldn't help but notice certain things, certain, certain similarities between Tom Riddle and me. I see. Well, you can speak parcel tongue, Harry. Why? Because Lord Voldemort can speak parcel tongue. If I'm not mistaken, Harry, he transferred some of his powers to you the night he gave you that scar so the sorting hat was right i should be in slytherin it's true harry you possess many of the qualities that voldemort himself prizes determination resourcefulness and if i may say so a certain disregard for the rules why then did the sorting hat place you in gryffindor because i asked it to exactly harry exactly which makes you different from voldemort it is not our abilities that show what we truly are. It is our choices. The door suddenly flies open and Lucius Malfoy appears with Dobby following behind. Lucius is pretty upset that Dumbledore was allowed to return to Hogwarts, and Dumbledore explains that the attacks have stopped and 11 out of 12 PTA members beg to have him come back. He suggests that maybe Lucius had blackmailed them into suspending him, holding up the diary as evidence. Harry accuses Lucius and he's defensive, sweeping out of the room and yelling for Dobby to follow him. Harry feels sorry for Dobby that he has to serve the Malfoys, so he quickly thinks of a plan to free him. House elves can only be freed whenever their master presents them with a piece of clothing, 
So Harry wraps one of his socks around the diary and hands it to Lucius. Lucius is disgusted by the sock and throws it off the diary, and Dobby catches it with a thrilled expression on his face. Lucius storms off in anger, and Dobby thanks Harry profusely before he, return before he disappears with a snap of his little fingers. It's the last night of the school year, and everything seems to have worked out. Hagrid returns to his position at Hogwarts, exams are cancelled, Lockhart is officially removed from the staff, and, the Gryffindor, and Gryffindor wins the House Cup again. Harry really hasn't been this happy for a long time, and they all head off to the train to begin their much-deserved summer break. Thank you guys again for taking a listen to Potterology. I know that these are kind of long parts, but I just really want to make sure I'm including every kind of um, Harry Potter fan or Harry Potter listener by explaining the whole thing. Um, but yeah, um, y'all tune in next week around Thursday or Friday for part three of the biography of Harry Potter. <laughs>